Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Johnzel Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for the fourth and final uh, episode that we're doing on the June's Mental Health Book Club on Greta Thunberg's The Climate Book. So if you have not been keeping up with us, we are doing the last little section of the book about the last quarter of the book. So if you haven't read to the end yet, I don't think you necessarily have to have read to understand this conversation, but to jump in like we always do, uh, how did everyone feel about the overall book or the the ending of the book and some of the things that we learned in this last reading? I'll just touch on, I think that uh, the book was heavy, uh, but so is climate change. So Literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, but it was nice to uh, be done with it. And um, I enjoyed the last few sections, especially um, I'll touch on like rewilding is a topic that I'm super interested in. And apparently, you know, my social media for you pages have tapped into what we're doing. And so it lined up really well this week. I think for me, this has been a bunch of crazy weather we've been covering in the news. Um, like we had two of the tunnel flood locally because of rainwater. So the midtown and the downtown both flooded, which you never want to have a tunnel that floods. And normally if they knew something was going to go on, they put the floodgates up, but nobody knew. So we had that incident. So interesting to watch, I guess. I guess a segue or a thought would be that climate change and Things like that uh, remind us humans that we're very small. And I don't know, I have a lot of respect for nature. I have a lot of respect for the earth, like especially after having read this. But I will say that nature can be very scary if we don't take care of it. So um, that's why this is so serious. But um, Greta says, if people lose hope, there is indeed no hope. So despite all of this stuff, as you said, Ashley, this book being very heavy, we have to take the information, but then remind ourselves not to lose hope. I talked about that in the episode last week, too. But we can learn all this information. And of course, we're going to feel overwhelmed. Of course, we're going to feel like, what can we do? Because I just said, humans are very small compared to the climate, compared to the earth and stuff like that, right? However, while we're very small, we also, science says, have contributed quite a bit to how all of this nature stuff is changing. So if we can fuck it up, we could probably put our resources and efforts into trying to fix it or at least mitigate. So there's that. Um, was there any particular essays or, or Ashley, if you want to jump in with the rewilding part um, that kind of stood out to people? Yeah, I think the rewilding part was really interesting because it's one of those things where we are a global society and native plants are really important into making sure that whatever area you're in is getting the most, you know, carbon out of the air. The plants are surviving, the animals are thriving. And unfortunately we have humans have planted invasive species because they're pretty or because they, you know, are cheaper and we've really kind of messed up the balance there. Um, when it comes to not not only forests or areas that we want plants in, but you know, clear cutting for housing, um, 
And anytime that you have a large swath that doesn't have any cover, then you also have to worry about it heating up more because it's there's no tree, tree cover or canopy to kind of hold the moisture in and kind of trap that um, heat before it escapes. I remember Greta said earlier on in the book, I think she was referring to like pesticides and things like that, but she was saying that we're big into controlling nature instead of being a participant or to be a visitor. We, we, um, we look at our ability to manipulate and change things around us as a, like a birthright, I guess. And through all of that controlling, we're messing up a lot of other things that then make us vulnerable. Um, I know she was specifically talking about pesticides, but uh, like, you know, we don't have to, like you, you see, I mean, it's getting more, or it's warm outside. Like you see people out in their yards or on the sidewalks, like spraying down the weed killers, just so that that one little crease in the sidewalk doesn't have that weed popping out of it. Right. Like we're so, and we're just taught that you're supposed to control things. Everything is supposed to look manicured and everything like that. And it's like, well, what happens when that stuff goes into our water supply? Um, and things like that. And I can share an example. Um, I mentioned in the last episode how we had the storm and a bunch of tree limbs came down, wiping out my <laughs> rainy day fun. That was great. But, you know, grateful. I'm alive. It's all good. Life goes on. But two do- houses down from me, I think they had some limbs come down too. And like I said, yesterday we were getting ready to go to the pool. So we're like putting the stuff in the car and everything like that. And I look over. And before I even went outside, I was like, somebody's burning wood because you can just tell the smell and like someone's burning wood. Okay. And sure enough, when we were going to pack the car up, someone just has all the limbs from the trees that are the limbs that came down and they're burning it. And in my head, I'm just like, you know, it's kind of that, you know, like I said about the people with the, what is it? Roundup, whatever it is that people spray to get the 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 weeds off of the sidewalks and make everything look perfect and square and manicured and whatnot. It's kind of like if you don't know better, you know, I'm sure the people two houses down were like, oh, when you have too many limbs and you don't want to chop them up and take them to the dump, you just put them in a pile and burn them, you know? Um, like I think there's generations and there's teaching that goes, you know, that that happens where people just like, oh, this is what you do. But of course, me, I have just read this book. I'm like, oh, well, that's releasing a lot of carbon. And I had mentioned in the previous episodes, too, how I've been making some trips down to South Carolina, like long road trips. On 95, as you go towards uh, South Carolina, there are like, I guess, if you go through North Carolina and South Carolina, there's a lot of, quote, work zones, uh, road construction that literally nobody's doing anything to the roads because it's like they set it up. And then they just ran out of money or something like that. So there's a lot of like cones and things like that, but nothing's really getting done. But then you'll go through certain spots where they're tearing down trees on the side as if they're probably going to expand the highway or something like that. And what they do is they bundle them into piles. And then it's literally like controlled burns where they'll literally, there's just, you can see these piles of trees on the side of the road and they're just burning them. You see the ash that like wipes over the road and, and things like that. And it's like, that's what they're doing with this all for to build a road. And quite frankly, it's to build roads 
adjacent to a road that's already there, you know? Um, and, you know, again, I'm on this, you know, road trip and I'm like, I know this information from having read this book and I'm just like, we're just burning trees for what? I said, how about y'all do the road work on the roads that all these other places that y'all haven't done anything to, but we're going to expand the road right here. It just doesn't make sense. And it's like, um, it, I, I just don't think that there's a lot of knowledge or concern because somebody's making money off of something, you know? Um, and so I just, that was a tangent, but burning trees. And uh, I think, it. oh, I know what the original thought was. Uh, Greta said, like, we're trying to constantly control. We're constantly trying to control things. We're trying to control what our, you know, uh, road systems are or what our lawns look like or, you know, what sort of bugs are around us and things like that. And we overdo this stuff and we're killing a lot of other things. Like you said, with uh, the invasive species, like, oh, they, they look pretty or they the you know they introduced this particular thing to take care of this particular pest but now they're overrun and they're reproducing so quickly that they're causing all these other issues and things like that and it's like when humans get in and try to control nature that can do its own thing uh we usually get it wrong one thing i think that really stood out to me with the pandemic so like the environment was doing very well to not have as many cars on the road not as much pollution but then you start seeing people throwing gloves and masks on the ground it's like what is the point of that so you get out of your car you feel like you're done with it you just throw it on the ground you couldn't find a trash can or something so it was like if we fix one thing people are going to create another one like you said it's also like i remember we covered a story at the station where people were trying to make beer out of wastewater like they went to the sewage plants and they were like poo beer and i was like nobody wants that they're like it's totally clean we go through this process and we clean it that's something you don't tell people because nobody wants to try that yeah no no i will say though uh down here i'm in the roanoke area when i was in college the wastewater treatment plant in roanoke uh dumps slowly dumps the water after it's treated into the river and then the river leads into the reservoir, and then the people in Rona drink that water. So, I mean, that's also poo beer, technically, I guess you'd think of it when you go to those breweries in downtown Roanoke. <laughs> and aside. One of the things that stood out to me, I, I was taken aback by the, the poop beer. I had to collect myself. Greta was talking about how she's this young person who obviously through her influence and popularity and stuff like that has had the ability to talk to like major world leaders and stuff like that. And she just mentioned how she'll talk to these like world leaders and they literally, these are people with power. These are people with like nuclear codes. These are people with th th that can make something happen if they had the courage and the understanding to do so. And it's kind of the, uh, a lot she's observed that a lot of them have an ignorance is bliss kind of perspective um, where they don't want to hear the facts or get overwhelmed by the facts and she said how it's very common and when people opt to ignorance is bliss it paralyzes making the changes that we need and it's scary because not much is being done 
while the emissions continue to rise. Like uh, I shared about my neighbor who's just burning tree limbs, probably doesn't know better, right? Or uh, oftentimes people do know better and they still don't give a fuck, right? And it's it's kind of like that. Well, you know, I said it early on, the metaphor that was shared early in the book is like, okay, the tub is overflowing. We need to turn the faucet off first before we clean up the overflow. It's like, well, if nobody wants to listen, it's going to keep overflowing, right? And but the, the thing that really, I guess that's the daunting kind of like part where a person could easily lose hope. It's like, She's talked with world leaders and they're like, eh, I don't want to like, it's not even like, I don't want to hear it. It's more so like this overwhelms me. Like, I don't know what to do. Like these, the people who can really do the things are like, I don't know what to do. That's the part that like kicks me in the stomach. It makes me really scared. What were y'all's thoughts on that part? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I started to feel it too towards the end of reading this book. Like, what what can we do, right? It feels like a hopeless situation. And, you know, yes, things are getting worse, but I think especially for older generations, like, I'm not really going to have to deal with it. Like, it doesn't affect me necessarily. Like, the worst of it, like the end times, I'll be long gone. So they just, you know, out of sight, out of mind it. And unfortunately, that's not a mentality that we can maintain forever. Much as I hate to admit it, some of this reminds me of the Michelle Obama book where she's just like, I know you want answers. I don't have any answers for you, but just remember to go high. And I'm just like, ma'am, how do we go high in this situation? I mean, we can try to do everything individually on our end to make things better. But if our neighbors are dumping five times the amount of waste everywhere, it's still kind of self-defeating. And for listeners of this podcast, I do want to share one statistic that kind of jumped out at me because there's way more statistics and facts and things like that in this book, but I can't remember what page it was on, but I wrote it down. Uh, Air pollution kills 8.7 million people every year, which is more than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined, end quote. And there, there are just health consequences of burning fossil fuels. And again, we've talked about it in previous episodes where if you live in a affluent or wealthy nation, you can buy your way out of some of the calamity that will come your way. Um, but there are people uh, downstream, so to speak, right, who don't have the resources or ability to escape those outcomes. So there were some solutions, ideas, uh, things that could change. Uh, I'm interested in some of the things that jumped out to y'all. I think that um, like technological advances and especially um, meat substitutes was something that was interesting. Like, is there ways to have your cake and eat it too almost Um, was interesting. Now, at the same time, it still takes energy to make alternatives. So you got to figure that out. But I mean, that's a little... Oh, nugget of hope, right? Like there are some some swaps to be made. And there's actually a couple of chapters uh, in this book about just food. And one of our book club members, Brianna, had mentioned how she gave up, I believe, pork and beef. And since 
just reading those chapters in this book, but also hearing her like rationale for it, it was easy for me to just be like, okay, I'm not going to eat beef or pork anymore. I didn't eat a lot of pork anyway, but, and I really didn't eat a lot of beef, but it was just like, okay, those are high emitting meats and I can just like eliminate those. And I've actually been being a little adventurous, not really adventurous, but trying some of the impossible things, you know, uh, some are, I will say, there was one instance where there was a place that I frequent and they had like a certain sandwich that I usually get with like sausage on it. And then there was a impossible version of it. And I tried the impossible version of it and it was more flavorful and I enjoyed it more. So I will say that. However, there are some other instances where I've gotten the impossible substitute and it was like not nasty, but just underwhelming. And so Again, those are small examples, but I've eliminated beef and pork and I'm trying some of the the meat substitute things just out of curiosity, but even just in my own meal planning, um, I've been going more towards like the, the vegetarian type of meal prep things, mainly because as I shared in episode three, a gigantic tree limb fell into my house and took all of my money. <laughs> so I'm trying to also save money by not uh, paying for protein. So um, lots of uh, chickpeas and beans and whatnot, which is actually quite tasty. Like you can get really adventurous and things. So um, reducing the amount of meat consumption and also trying new things when you have the option. Um, but yes, I, I do like uh, some of that technology that uh, we got to learn about with that. I'm gonna throw in another quote from uh, Greta, it was the conclusion that she had to the book. And she said, hope is earned, not acquired by waiting around for someone to fix everything or sticking your head in the sand. There is hope, but we have to take action, change our behaviors, reduce consumption and slow down. And I don't think this is a direct quote. I think I was paraphrasing, um, but that's basically what I got from her conclusion of the book. And I like that perspective. And I think if you were to say that in any sort of anywhere, if you said hope is earned, not a given, people would look at you sideways because we can speak as folks who live in a, you know, the United States, we have stuff where we have the things, right? Telling someone that you're not entitled to hope from jump is radical but i think the way that she speaks sometimes it evokes discomfort but it's that type of discomfort we don't change when we're comfortable we change when we're uncomfortable if it's too hot you're going to get annoyed and you're going to do something to make it to where it's not too hot right uh, such as getting up and turning the air conditioning on or turning a fan on or getting a glass of water, right? If it's already comfortable and it's at the temperature that you want, you're not going to get up and do anything. You're not going to, you know. So I like that her words can evoke that sort of response. So I I do like that she, I don't know. I like, I like her, her delivery. I mean, I know we kind of got into it last time about how sometimes she's a little too direct and blunt uh, and how you might not win some friends that way, but you can only do so much of the, I think, sugarcoating and the, uh, 
gently confronting something because if you gently confront someone and say, Hey, by the way, don't want to bother you. Your house is on fire. Just, you know, when you get around to it, maybe like flee. Um, if you say it really, you know, if you were to do that, like the house would burn down and the person would perish, right? Like you have to, there has to be a sense of urgency. So sometimes you have to be direct when there's a sense of urgency. So um, I kind of like that, but back to some solutions or ideas or technologies that might mitigate this. I mean, I just want to touch back on what you said with the the quote. I mean, I, I don't disagree with her that hope is earned, right? So if you just say, I hope it get like, you know, whatever situation in your life, I hope it gets better, but then you do nothing to better the situation. Well, you you didn't earn the hope because you're not doing anything to make it a hopeful situation. I mean, I, I get where she's coming from with it is what I'm saying. Like, we can't just hope it gets better to climate change. Like there needs to be things that happen in order to feel hopeful, right? It can't just be throwing out solutions and not acting on them. People need to act on, on especially the, the little things that you can do as an individual. I mean, we still need to push obviously for the big things, but it's, it's gotta be a collective effort. And this might sound really harsh, but maybe these multimillionaires and billionaires need to stop like taking submarines down to look at the Titanic. Like we're destroying more oceans and animals and everything going on with this. Like, how did you look at this vessel and think, oh, this is a great idea to go see these ruins of the Titanic with the video game controller to steer you down there? Like, I don't understand how you got conned out of spending your money and ruining the environment at the same time. I mean, I believe the tickets to get down there just alone were over a million dollars. So much has been in the media about this. But if we could flip it around, with the exception of this poorly built situation that imploded. Um, if we could go to the depths of the ocean to do this kinds of things, like I think it's about priorities too. What Brianna said in the past episode, she said, there is money, but it's tied up in private hands. When it's tied up in private hands, what we're dealing with is people who have excess and often, and it's no, I'm not even going to get into like socialism or anything like this, but when there are a, a handful of people who have excess, thus they have all the power. There's no incentive. Again, I said, when you're comfortable, you're not motivated to change. If you're comfortable with all this money, why would you change? You make your money by probably investing or having businesses that capitalize on consumption and emissions and all of these other things. The, the super, the, what the Bezos, what, what are the guy that owns Amazon or whatever? He's not going to be like, you know what? Climate change is a problem. I'm going to invest in carbon recapture uh, or something you know like no and his whole company is a huge emitter like uh think of you know the the whole business model for amazon right the people who have tons of money are not going to use it to help the greater good they're going to use it to do things often that are really stupid they're going to space they're going to and it's it's hobby to them this is drops in the bucket for them right and Greta, I think, leans a lot into hope and democracy. And I think 
one of the things, I mean, you could, if you follow her on social media, she's all about staging a, a protest and blocking, you know, she'll find out when important meetings are going to be held and she'll have a whole squad of people there to, with their signs to protest and uh, people literally who will lay their bodies on the street to like block traffic and things like that. Like I've watched, you know, them having people like pull people away and stuff like that. And that sort of activism is important, I think, to show, especially from young people to be like, I don't like that you have the power to make these decisions that are impacting my future and the future of future generations. So that's another one of those, like, you know, she says, keep hope, but it's like, ah, the very wealthy are not really, you know, they're, they want to go see this. And and then if you think it's it's very meta because like what was the Titanic if not like a you know gross like expression of wealth and pride and all this stuff right and then we're I mean everyone's already made the connection but it's like spend all this money to go to this thing and then you end up part of it you know so to speak but one of the quotes another one by Greta uh, she was talking about privilege. And she said, some of us can do more than others. The bigger your carbon footprint, the bigger your moral duty, end quote. So that was actually two pieces of quotes that she shared. What are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, I, th- I think she's she's right. And I think that, honestly, this this most recent situation where everyone was so enthralled with like this Titanic, you know, submersible, it's it's ludicrous that you you have there's there's got to be a cap where like past this much money past this much equity like a human doesn't need it right and everyone down at the bottom is like yeah you play stupid games win stupid prizes right but um you know there's a there's a chapter in in here and i say in here about equity and that you know and we've talked about that throughout the book the people who have the least carbon footprints have one, the most empathy, but two, the most consequences. So I don't know how you convince people who have more to do more. I mean, I'll, you know, throw a hope nugget in there. There are like Warren Buffett's, you know, and Bill Gates of the world who have pledged to donate their money back and are actively attempting to do some good with their equity. But at the same time, I mean, Bill Gates owns most of the farmland and cattle in this country. So, I mean, what is he doing for climate change? And it's solutions are going to involve giving up comfort. And that's part of, I learned that early on in this book, but that's why we've kind of been doing the sign off each week of what are you going to do this week to be inconvenienced or made to feel uncomfortable to reduce climate change right getting people to do that on a large scale is not impossible we talked about it last time it's like hike up gas prices things will change very quickly that's not the only solution that's just an idea that's a concept that we can all wrap our head around i don't because we live in our own lives and we we're, especially in uh, Western society, we're very individualistic, right? It's all about us all the time. Like, we don't think about less fortunate people that much, especially those who are living in like other countries way far away from us, like in, you know, 
walking miles to access water and things because of droughts and stuff like that. For listeners of the podcast, we just had a special guest join us. It's a cat um, who, who, who joined. So uh, the cat is also, you know, weighing in on this very important um, conversation. But yeah, we don't think about the, and we, we talked about it before. There are people who are going, and I said that the statistic before, like millions of people die every year from air pollution. And they die because they don't have the ability to escape it. Like we talked about, uh, I mentioned it in the last episode, but like a lot of our, apparently a lot of our recycling and or waste and trash and stuff like that is put on boats and shipped to like Southeast Asia where it's like put into giant piles and mounds and stuff like that. And the people who have to live there are dropping like flies, right? So our consumption and our waste is literally killing other people. And the statistics are probably way under what is actually happening, but because it's out of sight, out of mind, like I bring my trash to the curb on Wednesdays and it just goes away to some magic, you know, place and I don't have to worry about it. Right. And we talked a little bit about it last time. It's like, well, consumption is a problem. So if we can, that, that is a solution is to reduce our consumption. Problem is our society is built around consumption. Most of our economy is actually like built upon a model of you must consume this often regularly in order for us to make margins, right? Like there's, you know, we, I mean, you could look at anything, your smartphone, it's going to stop working like it's supposed to in two years because it's intended. It's, you know, and then you get another one, right? And, uh, the same thing with like most things, like you don't just buy something one time. It's like, oh, you should sign up for our subscription plan so that we can continue to ship this to you regularly. Or even on Amazon, it's like, I buy a, um, I, oh, most recent thing I bought was, I, I think it was some, uh, vitamins. Right. And so when you order it, it'll be like, well, there's 180 of these. So in 180 days, you're going to need another one. So why don't you just put it on a subscription plan? You'll say that 5% will automatically ship it to you. Right. Um, and so the whole thing is like built upon, you're going to keep consuming this and we want you to. So let's automate this for you. And so consumption is very interwoven into our society. So the, again, part of the solution is to embrace discomfort and slow down the consumption. What are some additional thoughts that y'all have on that or any like new ideas or solutions that can come from that? When it comes to Amazon, I always feel like they're like a necessary evil only because even if you think you're not supporting Amazon, they have so many servers that other companies use and so many things that other companies are supporting them with that you're indirectly still sending money with Amazon. It's like in this country, you can't get around it. Um, Unfortunately, when you have companies that are that big, the only thing that will slow them down eventually, they will be succeeded by an even bigger company that will be able to take them over like their ceo and owner has already said at some point amazon will no longer be the number one business in the world and somebody will overtake me um but at the same time most normal people that are considered middle class they don't really care how we see the out the long game, I guess. And if you think about it, most of our products are coming from factories overseas where we're paying people like a dollar a day to manufacture these things that they're turning around and charging us $200 for. 
It's ridiculous. So they're literally killing themselves. Just like no bathroom breaks, not enough food, no health insurance. They're working themselves to the bone. And it's just like, if we want to stop supporting it, it's hard to because trying to find places that are strictly American that are going to be able to give you fabric to make clothes, going to be able to give you all the food to meet your needs and all this other stuff. It's like basically impossible to make it work. So at what point do we find a way to like help these other countries realize you have to care about your people, but then the prices go up for everything. Then you, it's it's like a never-ending cycle of how do you fix this? Hey, y'all. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know how you can support my podcast, writing, and other creative projects. Head over to the show notes of this episode where you can consider buying me a coffee once or monthly, gift me a book from my wish list, or just leave a nice review to help others find this podcast. I know your time and money is valuable, so thank you in advance for your support. And now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that um, a few years ago, I tried to boycott Nestle completely, right? Because um, one, they're not a great company, but two, at the time, they were doing some really shady stuff where they were sending formula to especially impoverished countries and uh, convincing basically moms that their formula was better than breast milk. But then they wouldn't give them enough to get them through the child's whole life. So then now you have dependent customers in a country where they can't afford to pay for formula when they had a free source of nutrition to begin with that's now dried up, which is kind of shady. So I tried to get off of buying all Nestle products. But when you see as a parent company how many product lines they own, it became nearly impossible, right? I thought it was interesting. There was a, I want to say a whole essay or two on the influence of advertising and media. And that one stuck out to me a lot, mainly because media and Nita, I'll have you weigh in on this one because I know you work in that that field. Advertising and stuff like that is so incredibly like, like it, it kind of like convenience is interwoven into things and uh also instant gratification is uh woven into everything like to make all of that consumption like like even our things are designed to be consumed so that we will then need another one and entire businesses and models and things like that have grown off of that model but uh the essay gives the radical idea of if we criminalize basically or severely like for example uh, and I don't, I don't know if they made the comparison, but there was a point in time, and I think still, you can't just like have a billboard for cigarettes. Like they made that against the law so that people wouldn't smoke as many cigarettes. If advertising is not so overwhelming, right? Like everything you go on, every app, any any sort of website or anything like that you're being marketed to constantly. If advertising could be regulated better and, you know, but then also I think getting into like these, someone had mentioned like the monopolies over things like Nestle and Amazon. And I know Apple is one that I've really like, even in the past week, I've just, I mean, I literally have a ton of Apple stuff, but 
the, the, the way that the ecosystems they build themselves around of it literally is like uh, an octopus that like wraps itself around the consumer. And then like, you try to like break yourself free and it's like, Nope, we got you in 20 different ways. Right. If there was a way to like, if you, like I said, if you go for gas prices, consumption will go down, right? Because people can't afford to consume at the rate that they were. If you go for advertising, sales are going to go down, which then reduces consumption. But those are, those seem like really huge things to do, not impossible. But I, I really enjoyed the essay about advertising and how. Uh, basically, one of the people, I can't remember who it was, but basically said media is one of the, like, if we were to put people on trial or uh, uh, organizations or things on trial for the crime of climate change, media is there. Like, that's public enemy number one, because we wouldn't keep consuming if the push to consumption and advertising this uh churn and burn way of life wasn't so pervasive nita i'm interested in what you have to say about that so i think advertising is just one of those things um one of the things that disney did really well is they have this philosophy capture them when they're young so if you get them into these little kid movies when they're adults they still want to go back and live their childhood so they go back and buy these products so you created a lifetime consumer when this kid was three because now only thing they love is disney princesses so the parents are buying it then when they become an adult they buy it a lot of companies do that so you can take a company and have a taste test of two products the company manufactures both products but once that person sees the name brand they're going to say the name brand is better because the advertising suggests to them that hey this is what i should get because this is supposed to be better it's the name brand when it's the same company that's making them. So like a lot of these companies, they sell in off-brand stores. They sell in Audi. They sell in Trader Joe. Same product, but they're able to charge more with their brand name, but they sell it for less at these stores. And people don't realize you're paying for that markup. So the way that advertising will continue to work is people will be willing to spend $15 million for a Super Bowl commercial for 30 seconds. And that's probably way less than what it really is because people are going to go out and buy those products so it's the same thing with like nascar on a race weekend everybody's just like oh it's his cars going around in a circle these advertisers that advertise on that car it might be a papa john sponsored car guess what that papa john's in those areas they get a like 200 percent increase of orders because people are seeing their logo on that car of their favorite driver so people are so entwined into falling for these stories that these advertisers tell them. But meanwhile, they're still like polluting areas where people don't have a choice. The air sucks, the water sucks. And we're just like, oh, this company is great because they donated a little money to the children's hospital. And like you go to these restaurants and they're like, oh, can you donate your change so then we can help the kids? Well, you're already getting my money. You can't just take the money and donate out of that. You want me to donate more so it makes you seem like a good company. Yeah, I'll get on that. So that's one of my biggest pet peeves because they, when they take your money from you, that dollar, that roundup, whatever, they use that as a tax write-off. Like that's their tax write-off for the year. So all you're not donating to the children's fund. Yeah, you're giving them a little bit of money, right? But 
you're helping a company reduce the amount of taxes that they have to give to the federal government, which is shady, in my opinion. They should just be donating to donate, not trying to capitalize on how much profit they can make. Um, But I will say I did fall victim this week. I don't know if anyone's noticed. Um, YouTube's gone crazy with how frequent the ads pop up now. And I got the same chicken fries commercial so many times that yesterday I did get Burger King chicken fries because I just, they were like, I was craving them. I held out all weekend and I was like, on Sunday night, I was like, I I think I need chicken fries. It's not a want anymore. It's a need. (laughs) That's funny. I want to, it wasn't in this book, but I listened to a podcast, but it was a podcast episode about just poverty and it had like an expert who's written books on, you know, the, you know, uh, the housing crisis and the prices and, and one of the things, the ideas, and it was almost like juxtaposed with uh, climate change. It was like, well, part of the way, if we, you know, we talk about how people will say there's not enough money. I spoke about that in the last episode. Greta had said like, people will say, oh, there's not enough money, but there is. There's clearly money because we can get into submersibles and go see, you know, sunk ships, right? And go to space. The very, very rich don't pay taxes. The money to mitigate climate change, to do carbon recapture, to change systems, to build infrastructure, to do all the things that need to happen to save this planet. The capital and the ability is there. The extremely rich know how to work the system to where they don't have to pay taxes. I I haven't checked and I don't, I'm not too much into the financials, but I'm pretty sure Amazon doesn't pay taxes. (laughs) Despite, you know, because they work, the, the way that they do things, it makes it look like they're working at a loss or something like that. I... I, I'm not an expert in the field, but to my understanding, every time I check, that's kind of how Amazon works, right? These, these insanely, like people are getting insanely wealthy off of these things, but there's no like responsibility or any of it actually getting to places where it can make a difference. And the podcast that I was listening to was like, well, we could solve because the, the podcast episode was about poverty. It was like, we could solve poverty if the people way up there just like stop trying to run away from paying their taxes. If we just made it harder, there would be more money available to end all of this stuff. And it would be like quick, fast, and in a hurry. Like it would be just so easy to do. So I feel like, and then they made the connection. They were like, well, same thing goes with climate change. Like if, you know, people say, oh, there's no money. It's like, well, People like us, we pay a freaking grip in taxes, like a, a huge chunk of what we make never sees our bank account, right? Whereas those who make stupid money, they don't have to pay taxes. And they also have so much extra wealth that they they control. Like, like the quote said earlier, some of us can do more than others because the bigger your carbon footprint, the bigger your moral duty. Some of, I mean, and, and I don't, don't say it like, oh, poor me. I can't do anything about it because whatever, like, I'm not saying I'm poor, but 
my moral duty is greater than the person who's living in a third world country in a drought where they have to walk several miles to access, you know, life sustaining resources, right? Uh, so my moral duty to that is going to be much larger. However, in my own country, there are people who are stupid wealthy who have a obviously, first of all, their businesses are probably contributing way more to climate change than my existence. They have a bigger moral duty. However, there's no accountability. Accountability, really, quite frankly, could come in, pay your due, pay your taxes, do your part. It's not currently set up like that. The rich people don't have to pay taxes. I mean, Donald Trump pays less money in taxes than I do. I've seen his tax returns. <laughs> uh, he, he, he pays way less than I do. It, and even in that podcast, it wasn't about like, oh, take money from the rich and give it to the poor or take money. It's not about taking your money. It's about the portion that you're supposed to pay, pay that. Keep the rest of your money and do your submersibles and get squashed, right? But the portion that you're supposed to pay, the percentage that everyone else pays, you should put that out. And then if we did that, first of all, we wouldn't be as much in the the, the deficit and the, the national debt and all that. That could be washed away real quick. Uh, and then we could actually start fixing shit, right? We wouldn't have states like North Carolina and South Carolina with like a bunch of like road work zones set up and no road work being done right like we we could we could figure it out but like brianna had said last week all the money in the capital is in private hands and until we start holding those those private entities and people accountable not to take their wealth simply away but to make it more fair to where they can't just hoard all of the resources and by hoarding those resources oftentimes they're doing a lot of damage to the things that are affecting people that who could never dream of even looking at a pile of money like what they have. So I just want to add, like, a, in addition to collecting more in taxes from those that should pay more, we should also hold the government accountable when they make errors. Like we make errors on our taxes. They're coming for you like you're going to prison. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention because the submarines have been real interesting or the whatever vessel. But there was an accounting error that was made in 2022 and 2021 fiscal years by the federal government. And we accidentally gave Ukraine $6.2 billion extra. Extra. Um, I think that could have done a lot for climate change, probably. $6.2 billion sounds like a, a pretty decent startup fund for, for saving the planet. I just think when you start looking at the government and the stuff they spend our taxpayer dollars on... It's insane. Like, you're trying to be like, oh, we're sending aid to homeless kids in in Africa. There's homeless kids here. There's homeless kids that need to eat here. They need housing. They need all this kind of stuff. But we're trying to be Captain Save Everybody and send help. And I'm just like, we have all this debt that we can't pay. But yet we think we can just magically print more money and send it to places. Like, where is this coming from? So one of the... and I. I think I mentioned it last time, at least from Greta's example, she talked about she gave up her privilege to fly. And I, I mentioned it too, like tourism is like 8% of global emissions annually. And we, we talk a lot about travel. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to hear more about transportation, go to episode three. But that made sense to me because I, I think, of, okay, I can I can control what I consume. 
I can recycle and hope for the best, right? I can, you know, make choices when I do have to consume something to to get the most, not necessarily bang for the, well, I guess bang for the buck, so to speak. But like, if I'm going to use something, I need to use it. The, the conclusion of this book, I think Greta talks about, and I don't know if she, she doesn't really go in depth to it, but you can see it with her life activism is going to be huge like there's gonna have to be strikes like look at how the i can't remember specifically what union is on strike right now with like the writers right they have the entertainment industry in a chokehold right now and i love them for it and i support that and it made it really easy for me to unsubscribe to some of my like subscription platforms because i'm like my show ain't coming back this summer anyway so y'all ain't getting my you know 12.99 each month anyway but they're they're striking so that they can get something to change right uh you can look at greta's twitter or instagram or whatever that girl is constantly striking something or protesting something or whatever it's like if the people with the influence and the ability and the power and the money could do the same thing when it comes to climate change things will change people are losing their damn minds that their shows aren't coming back this fall that's something rather small right we could do the same thing for something that is literally life and death i will say that at the end of the book there's not a a ton of information for talking about how to do that because she just kind of explains how she does that by living her life like if you look at her online you can see what she's doing but she also concludes the book with i can't give you a 10-point plan get up and do something that's the conclusion and I think sometimes even with the the uh, the vehicle of information that is a book, we expect it to solve, to fix our life by the time we close the cover. That's not the, and I said that last week, it's not her job to tell us how to fix climate change. She's giving us the information. She's given some suggestions. I mean, a lot of us can come up with a lot of different ideas. It's just a matter of like standing up to the systems that have the power and when it it comes to it in our own lives choose discomfort if it means impacting the bigger picture right and that's the solution the and then i'm supposed to tell you how to remain with hope we can do this but at the same time it's very daunting because we're pretty selfish as people and I'm, I say we, because it's not just me talking about everybody else. It's, you know, just we, part of human nature is self-preservation. So we're going to focus on our own survival before we focus on somebody else's. And to solve climate change, we have to think of the greater good. In addition to, of course, surviving. But it's really hard to wrap my mind around that as a... American citizen living in a very individualistic society with immense privilege, technology, access to resources, and then also to go up against a mammoth that is world governments and wealthy uh, bureaucracies, capitalism, like things that I couldn't even imagine even knowing who to talk to about something. It feels, feels like you're going up against a giant, but that's eco anxiety for you. Any additional ideas for hope 
for some things that y'all individually might look more into to continue the ripple effect of these conversations about climate change? I think that, like I said, the the rewilding stuff is really fascinating to me. I, like I said, I've watched maybe a few Instagrams about it and now I'm, I've been blown up a little bit. Um, and I, I will say like there are certain herbs, like I've got mint outside and I just realized that it has hopped out of its container. So I'm going to go deal with that tomorrow because I don't want it to spread around. That's why it was in a container to begin with. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, um, now I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'd keep, cause I have some mint inside cause it's more convenient. Like maybe mint is an indoor plant cause being outside, it can do its own thing and run away and we don't want that to happen. Is it invasive? Yeah. Mint's an invasive species. It's not native to America. I mean, I feel like when I was a little kid, we all watched suggestions and we thought we have flying cars by now. While we are probably close, I think um, the people that are actively trying to get ahead of it and stop relying on gas cars completely, um, I think is a very good deal. Um, I can't say I'd be quickly able to just go buy all like electric. I think I would feel more comfortable with hybrid first, only because when you go on trips, you have to research. So where's my charging station? How long is this charging going to take? All that kind of stuff. And then you start thinking about the people who will probably not be able to afford battery operated completely cars for a long time. Um, The price of those are very hefty right now. So for the average person that is probably considered, you know, lower middle class or low class will not be able to afford it. If you're only making $12 $12 an hour, that's something that's basically impossible. Where a lot of companies are complaining that people don't want to work, but that's the waste they're offering. So it's still one of those trickle down effects. Like you have to pay people a decent wage to be able to successfully probably save the planet, but people don't want to do that. It's more so how much money can we make for ourselves and keep for ourselves? Um, so hopefully, I mean, we can all find ways to help out, like, start growing our own gardens and stuff again that way we know where our food is coming from using less plastics and all that good stuff but i think it takes a lot of people to make it happen and it's going to take those top one percent to really step up and carry their weight with it and they're not willing to do it one thing that i've been thinking about part of you know i have a dog so sometimes i'll just like take him on like an evening like once the sun goes down just like to kind of unwind from the day and stuff, I'll take them on a walk and I'll walk maybe like a mile and a half or something, you know, with them. And I'm walking and I'm like, there's trash everywhere. And so unfortunately you drive down the road and you see people throwing the trash out of the window, which is, you know, it is what it is. But I was thinking, I mean, for my own yard, I have like a bucket in my like shed, like with a, a handle. And I have like one of those like little grabber things. It wouldn't be that I could get some of my steps in, right? Just like walking down the street and just picking up some trash and just depositing it into my own trash can at home. And I've I've been thinking about doing that. I'm like, okay, what if the challenge is like fill this bucket up with just loose trash that you find on the street? You know, people sometimes will look down like on people like you see, you know, like uh, people on the side of the road picking up trash or whatever as part of community service or whatever it's like. I'm not the type of, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, I have a master's degree and whatever. Like, I, 
I couldn't care less what anybody thinks of me to be, you know, this just person walking through my neighborhood, you know, picking up trash. If to me, I know that that's possibly less things that might end up in the ocean uh, or in the water supply or something like that, I can do that. And also it has a benefit to me of I'm getting the exercise that I want to get. And my neighborhood is prettier, you know? Um, so that's one thing that I've been thinking of on like a smaller scale of things. We've learned through this book, like we can't buy our way out. Yes, there are some, you know, options that are better than others as far as if you have the means and stuff like that. I think what we all have collectively learned through these conversations is that we do have power. Like if humans have the power to mess up the environment, we should have the power to fix it. Uh, some of the damages are reparable, but, you know, the earth is also really resilient, just like humans. I like that. I like that sentiment. So with that being said, I, I, I will say this is the most important book that I believe that we've read on this mental health book club, at least to me personally, I can't speak for everybody, uh, is I think it was the most important book and it was the most difficult for me personally to get through and to process. This is also the type of book that you can't just read one time and you got it. This is going to be one of those ones that you have to read multiple times, but I'm going to lend it to a couple of people before I circle back around to, to read it again, because I need a break, which brings me to the next thing. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, uh, I have been doing the mental health book club since uh, I started in December. I've been doing an episode every week for the past seven months, which uh, it has been a wonderful journey. I have learned a lot through the books and the conversations and had a great time. However, the climate change book really was a reminder to me that I need a break. So for the month of July, I will not be doing a mental health book club. I'm going to be taking uh, just the month off. I'm also in the process of writing my memoir. So if you're interested in learning how to support me in that, look at the show notes of this episode. But yeah, I'm going to focus on reading and writing and resting. We'll be back in August with a the next month of the Mental Health Book Club. I have not selected the book that we're going to be doing yet. Also, if you want to keep up with what's coming next, there is a link to subscribe to my newsletter and the episode show notes as well so that you can stay in the loop on when we're coming back with the Mental Health Book Club and all the other stuff that I have going on. So be sure to check that out. But until next time, thank you for listening and take care.